Welcome back, folks. As promised, we have our recap of round one. We have our favorite picks, our least favorite picks, and then the winners and losers from day one of the NFL draft. Uh, we we really stayed up late to make sure we got this one in at the buzzer for you guys. So make sure you tune in, hit subscribe, and let's get right after it right away. So taking a look here, we're going to just bounce off of a bunch of picks here in the NFL draft. We're coming to you ex- almost exactly after the draft is just concluded. And there's a ton of picks that were surprising. There's a bunch of trades. You know, we didn't have a lot of action at the top of the draft in terms of trades. But as soon as we got outside the top 10, we've seen teams going all over the place and wide receivers really been on a run. But uh, basically what I just want to do is I want to just hit some of these superlatives, basically hit – you know, some of our favorite value picks, some of our least favorite picks, some of our biggest steals, some of our biggest reaches. And uh, basically, we'll, as always, outline who won the draft, who lost the draft. And uh, we'll, we'll start right at the top here. Trayvon Walker going number one. This, it, it seemed kind of like a crazy pick, probably about a week or two ago that, that this is going to happen. And as you got closer and closer to the draft, there was a ton of heat on this one. Like they're talking, everybody was talking that Trayvon Walker is going to be this pick. If, if bulky's in charge, Walker is going to be this pick and we get to day one and Walker is the pick and he's got a ton of upside. I've never once said that this guy cannot develop into an edge rusher one, but the expectation that you're going to have for this guy on day one is going to be huge. It's going to be, really big time what you're going to think that this guy's going to provide you on day one. This guy's not going to come in day one and give you 15 sacks. That, 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 is, that is not what he's about. That's not what he does. And I think that that's not fair for him as a rookie to expect that out of him and put that on him as a number one pick. Uh, I really like him as a developmental guy. I think that he can really develop into an edge one rusher. I mean, you don't push, you don't, you don't post the kind of numbers this guy's posted athletic testing wise and not have a ceiling that's that high but I just don't think it's fair is is basically what it comes down to is I think that this guy is going to always be held to the standard of a number one pick and he's not quite going to live up to that because he's not going to have enough time to do so so Trayvon Walker goes number one don't hate it don't love it uh, taking a look down the board, some of the more surprising picks as well was uh, Stingley. Uh, Derek Stingley Jr. goes number three to the Houston Texans over uh, Ahmad Gardner or Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Uh, really, I, honestly, I, I, I liked Stingley more than Sauce Gardner. I thought that this would make more sense. But with the injury, this is quite surprising. Uh, my guess is that Houston really was okay with the foot injury. They really wanted to get that lockdown corner. Uh, having Stingley come out and run the four three seven at his pro day was was obviously huge, but Sauce really had had the tape to back it up, and he really had almost no red flags. Uh, Stingley, when he's good, he's really really good, but when he's bad, or I shouldn't even say when he's bad because he's never really bad. It's honestly just like when he's not healthy. When he's not healthy, he's not putting his best tape out there, and. He hadn't been healthy for a couple years. But when you see what he can do against some of these number one wide receivers that have been coming out of the SEC, we're talking guys like Devontae Smith. We're talking guys like Jamar Chase. We're talking guys that are like just dominating the league now. 
it's really good. It's really, really good from Stingley. So I can't blame him for taking him at number three. I just don't think anybody with his injury concerns was thinking he was going to go that high other than some of the buzz that we'd heard the last, like, you know, two, three days. So, you know, file that away in your filing cabinet. Now we know. Uh, Moving down the draft here, some of the more uh, surprising picks that we've seen was uh, one that I thought that was a little surprising is a lot of people seem to be on this one more so than I was, was uh, Drake London, number eight to Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I I thought that if you're going to take a receiver in the top ten, my thinking was he had to do something very, very special. And what we've seen recently with some of these receivers that aren't athletically gifted, uh, I guess Drake London's, you know, size-wise, he's athletically gifted. He's he's 6'5". But he's not the speed demon. You don't see a ton of separation out of his routes. He's more of like a 50-50 ball kind of guy. I was kind of thinking that some of these receivers that had, you know, not done as well in recent memory would kind of push some of these guys on the board that don't don't naturally separate as a route runner or using speed. And that wasn't the case. Uh, Atlanta really apparently wanted to kind of diversify their skill set and what they had. Uh, they currently have Calvin Ridley, the route runner on board. They have uh, really nobody behind that other than maybe Kyle Pitts, which Kyle Pitts plays very similar to Drake London. But... The way I look at it is it's it's like Daniel Jeremiah always says. It's you're basically trying to build a basketball team with your receiver room. You got the point guard, the you know, the the short, uh shifty kind of working space kind of guy. Then you got the really big, tall, you know, power forwards and centers that are trying to win the jump balls. And you already had that in Kyle Pitts. So I was kind of surprised that they went this road here. I was thinking if they were gonna go wide receiver, I was thinking Alave, I was thinking Jameson Williams. I was thinking somewhere along that route, and they would do so by trading down the board. And they they elected to stay put. They elected to get another guy to really be their possession guy in their offense. And I can't knock them. I I don't hate it. They they desperately needed somebody in this offense uh, to be another uh, target receiver outside of what they had already. And Drake London will be able to come in and produce day one. Uh, I don't really have a ton of questions of what Arthur Smith can scheme up for him and his system. The next pick that was a big-time shocker for me, and it it wasn't necessarily the fact that it happened. It was more so the fact that who the selection was once we've seen it come through. And basically, I'm getting to the Detroit Lions here. They come all the way up from 32 up to 12. And really, as it was coming down, you've seen them like move almost 20 spots up the board here. And you're thinking right away, it's it's got to be a quarterback, right? Like They've been linked to Malik Willis for a long, long time. And I, 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 just, I can't see giving up the kind of draft capital that it would take to get up 20 spots to take any other position. And all of a sudden, the compensation comes down that essentially with the Minnesota Vikings, all you're doing is swapping first and seconds and adding the third. I I don't hate that. You're still keeping the same amount of picks you had, but adding in an extra one, even though you already probably had some extra capital along the way here, you know, essentially 32. So the Detroit Lions are leaving this draft with a guy that I'm guessing they thought was the best wide receiver in Jamison Williams. When healthy, he he just might be the best wide receiver in this draft if he returns with the same explosiveness and big playability that he had at Alabama. 
plus Aiden Hutchinson, one of the best edge defenders in this entire draft. I think that's a huge win, and that's two key, very key spots that they needed help in. They were very desperate for help at edge defender. They were very desperate at help for playmaker on offense, and they get help at both of those selections. So I love it, even though that uh, Jamison Williams isn't necessarily a key contributor in year one. I think he's going to be a very key part of your offense moving on, moving forward. Uh, next up, we see the uh, a series of trades here to go along with some of the trades we had just seen. The Philadelphia Eagles move up and take Jordan J- Jordan Davis. Uh, didn't really see this one coming, even though there was a little bit of buzz out there that they really liked him. Uh, given Philadelphia Eagles history with uh, defensive line depth, this is not surprising at all and especially given his athletic ability and what he can do as a player when he's at the top of his game. I don't think this is very surprising at all either. This this is something that we probably should have seen coming from a mile away. Uh, Getting to Kyle Hamilton going to the Baltimore Ravens at 14, there had been some serious buzz that he was going to fall out of the top 10 uh, as of recent quite a bit. And the only reason I didn't really think the Ravens were going to move on this one with Kyle Hamilton was – the fact that they had signed that big contract with uh, Marcus Williams in this offseason here. So I didn't really think that there was a huge need there for him, especially with like Chuck Clark in the building as well too. But I think there just gets to be this point in the draft where the value of the pick itself just kind of outweighs where you're selecting them at. Like Kyle Hamilton, in my opinion, is a top five talent. Like he is... He's a guy that really moves the needle for your defense. He can do a lot of really great different things in terms of man coverage and one high, two high safeties that a lot of players in this league can't do. And now that you're taking a look at it, like this, this makes a lot of sense at nabbing this guy at 14. So Kyle Hamilton falling that far, not necessarily surprising, but just kind of who gets them. And like the, the Ravens just, they just keep winning in the draft. They just keep getting really good players. And they're going to make our list here again eventually, I'm I'm probably guessing. But Kyle Hamilton at 14 is an absolute steal. Moving right down the list here, the next most surprising pick to me is going to be the Quay Walker pick. I'm just going to hit on this one right away. Um, if you follow our page at all, you're going to know that I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan, and I had zero expectation that this pick was going to be a wide receiver. I had zero expectation that any of their selections were going to be a wide receiver. But when you look at how modern defense is shifting to this this nickel and this dime defense where we have, you know, five to six DBs on the field at once, and really, like, Chris Barnes is not by any means an elite player, but... He's also not, like, a bad player. Like, I don't understand why you're looking to move on from him and upgrade from him for a guy that's on the field maybe 50 to 60% of the time. I I thought this pick could have went to a more premier position in terms of edge defender, defensive line, offensive line. Somewhere in that range I thought made a lot more sense for the Green Bay Packers. But they elected to go second-level defender and linebacker Quay Walker. Now, I'm not going to lie when I take a look at the first round here and I, I, I look at the New England Patriots and I know Bill Belichick knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to the draft. But 
when you're looking at Cole Strange, this is a guy that I was thinking was like a second or third round pick. And like when I say second or third round pick, I'm thinking like tail end of the second, like somewhere in the third. And taking him at 29 is extremely bold. I mean, when you know you have a need in on the interior of the offensive line, I mean, that's, I mean, that's given. It's it's going to happen. It's fine, you know. But to, to reach that egregiously, like, I don't want to say it's a, it's a loss, but it's, it's in that, it's in that same light. So I'm not a necessarily a huge fan there, but I'm not going to sit here and say the Patriots are losers because Bill's been right a lot more than he's been wrong, which is why he's been around as long as he has. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt here. Um, when we're taking a look at winners in the draft here, uh, some of the biggest winners start at the, back at the top here. Uh, one of my favorite picks of this entire uh, draft is gonna be it's gotta be Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau is my fa- is my number one player in this draft. Uh, getting him at number five is a steal for the New York Giants. They need foundational pieces of their their entire team, and he's one that you can build off of, and especially building off of it, you get Evan Neal as well too who's like a guy that can like plug and play at right tackle. Now you have bookends at left and right tackle. That's uh, a huge deal. That's a huge deal in taking your trenches to the next level. And re- regardless of your picking, whether you're picking up that fifth-year option on Daniel Jones, you at least have something to build off of on both sides of the ball moving forward. Uh, the next pick that I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, taking a look here, we already hit on it a little bit, was going to be the Kyle Hamilton pick. Uh, the biggest value, he's my number three football player in this draft, and you get him at number 14 to be the leader of your defense for the next 10 years. Like, this is a guy that's going to step in and fill whatever role you need. He doesn't need to play single high. You have Marcus Williams. You can put him in the box as, like, a dime linebacker. You can leave him up high in a cover two scheme. You can match him up and take be your tight end eraser. He can do a lot of really different things for your defense, and he's going to come in and do it day one. And like I said earlier, the Baltimore Ravens just keep getting it right. I don't understand how they can just keep making pick after pick and keep getting these guys that are just really good at football, and they just can continue to do it. And I don't understand how they keep falling to them and they keep getting high quality football players. And at this point, it's, it's not even a coincidence. It's just habit. Moving right along here, the next pick that we were huge fans of, is going to be the Trent McDuffie pick at number 21. Really? I thought Trent McDuffie, like I thought like his ceiling was kind of like that, like 11, 12, 13 range. And I kind of thought his floor was going to be like this 20 range. That's a really small window but that just tells you how good of a player he was. And for the the Kansas City Chiefs to get a guy that has this inside-outside versatility, it kind of makes the loss of Tyron Matthew a little bit expendable. Like, he wasn't exactly as needed as he needed because now you insert this guy that can kind of play that, like, nickel safety role, play that outside corner role if you need him. And he's just a really good football player. He's a really smart football player. And you get them at a discount a little bit here, especially uh, they seen that the value was lining up with where he was in the draft, and they make a move to go and get him ahead of some of these teams that might have been interested. You know, Green Bay, uh, 
Buffalo ends up trading up. Like we, we have a couple of these teams that might have thought about taking this guy. They had a need in that nickel roll, and they went and got their guy. They got their guy that can come in and play day one and play a very key role in their defense, especially after losing a couple of guys in their defense. So really like the Trent McDuffie pick as well, too. Moving along, probably my favorite selection of the draft has got to be Jermaine Johnson because I'm I'm holding my head figuring what's going on with this guy. There's got to be something behind the scenes that we don't know, and there very well might be as as you know the the weeks unfold here. But the New York Jets got a guy in Jermaine Johnson that was thought to be a top ten selection. Let me remind you, a top ten selection at number twenty six. There's people mocking Jermaine Johnson to the New York Jets at number 10. And they traded up from 30, probably 6, 37. And they got the same exact guy that they were thinking they were going to get much, much higher. So their draft haul ends up being, if if we're rewinding a little bit here, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and Jermaine Johnson in day one. That That is elite stuff. That is stuff that really can take your team to the next level. Uh, Might not be day one immediate impact, just because a lot of these guys don't have that kind of stuff in their their toolbox. But, I mean, this is foundational pieces. This is a draft that you come away from, and it's one that you you might be able to point to and be like, hey, we got it right that year. And that begins with one of these selections here where you get a guy an absolute discount. The next pick that I was a huge fan of is going to be this George Karlaftis pick for the the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody know, has known for a while here that the Kansas City Chiefs have a need at the opposite edge rusher. They tried to fill it with Chris Jones, and they've realized that Chris Jones was much more effective on the interior. So they move him back there and leaves a hole here. And you have Frank Clark on the other side, who's uh, re-signed for a little bit cheaper dollar amount. But then you get a guy like Karlaftis. And many times, like... I think of him in the same light as Aiden Hutchinson, but not as like pro ready. Like Hutchinson's much more twitched up, much more athletic, uh, much more pro ready compared to Karlaftis. But like Karlaftis is this like power player. Like when you think of like Kerrigan and uh, some of these like power edge rushers that aren't like so bendy around the corner. But they're going to get you, like, heavy pressures. They're going to be able to fill schemes. They're going to be able to play the run really well. You know, there might not be, like, a 15, 16 sack kind of guy, but they're kind of, like, along them lines where they're, like, an like 8, 7, 9 sack kind of guy that's going to give you a lot of pressure, be able to eat some double teams for you. That's how I envision Carl Aftis being. And especially if you get, like, a real speedy, bendy guy like Frank Clark opposite him. I think that that's something that can really pay off for you. So that's why I really like this Carl Aftis pick is we don't really have to debate this this Kansas City opposite edge rusher anymore because they kind of got one, you know, in the pocket now. So Carl Aftis, big-time win for me in that book. The next pick, and it's going to be the last one that I'm a huge fan of, is going to be the Daxton Hill pick. And the Daxton Hill pick for me was such a huge win because like I, I thought this guy was like a shoe in for like like that 16 to like 23 range I actually put a I put a bet on it I thought he was going to be higher than 20 or the under for like 28 and a half and he ends up going just outside of that but like he's a do-it-all like jackknife safety like 
you already have a guy like this in Jesse Bates, but then you get another one that like just makes your defense that much more multiple. Like you never know who's gonna be the high guy. You never know who's gonna be cover two. They can rotate over into a cover one. Like you can do a lot of different cool things now with these two guys that can both play high but also play underneath and be very versatile in coverage. So that's why I like Daxton Hill here. Uh, I I, th I really think that the Bengals got a guy that can come in and play very early on and be very effective. And they got it at a little bit of a discount here, especially at 31. So those are some of my favorite picks from the first round. Then the last thing that we're going to do here is we're going to take a look at some of the, the draft winners and some of the draft losers and... We're just going to start off with the draft winners. And the draft winners in my book are going to be headlined by the Eagles. They get a very key piece in their defense in Jordan Davis. But not only that, they had this other first-round pick that they've already turned one of their – so they had three first-round picks. They turned one into a 2023 first-round pick. They turned one into Jordan Davis, and they turned the other one into A.J. Brown. And when we look at this offense, what this offense was lacking is – an offensive playmaker to play alongside Devontae Smith because Jalen Rager has not quite panned out. So rather than trying to draft a guy in the first round and take a swing at a guy, they elect to trade for A.J. Brown and get a ready-made player there, and it's a home run. I love it. I think A.J. Brown is a huge ceiling player. I think he's got next-level athleticism. I think he's a huge after-the-catch the only issue is injuries, and you would hope that in making this trade that you're very comfortable with that. So I think that the Philadelphia Eagles, huge plus winners in this draft here, and really they're going to be able to evaluate Jalen Hurts properly in the next year and decide whether or not you need to move on with him in the next draft. So chalk went up for the win column for the Eagles. My other winner in this book is going to be, I don't know if this can be surprising or not, but when you get premium draft capital, it's, it's important to get premium draft players in it. And it's going to be the New York Giants. And like I said before, Kayvon Thibodeau was my number one player in this draft. And you got him at number five, so you got a four a four pick discount on him. So I think that's huge in its own. But not only that, but to get another guy at a key position at offensive tackle, to allow you to really evaluate Daniel Jones, I think that's huge. I think that's a big deal for the New York Giants. I think that they've really been lacking in the trenches on both sides the last few years, and it's really caught up with them in most recent years. And I think making both of these selections when you didn't have a ton of cap space to work with and you didn't have a ton of flexibility is, is really a big deal. And I'm actually a huge fan of what they were able to pull off in this draft. I think that that really sets them up whether or not Daniel Jones is the future of this franchise for some serious success in the future. So really like what they were able to do in the draft here and what they were really able to pull off. When we're taking a look ahead here, another one of the teams that I was a huge fan of was the Baltimore Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens, when you took a look at what they were able to pull off, they got my number three player in the draft, who was Kyle Hamilton. And we kind of went in depth on that, so I don't really want to beat a dead horse on that one. But he's one of my favorite players in this entire draft. But they also get my number 11 player in the draft, and Tyler Linderbaum, 
who they end up getting at like pick 25. I know there was some buzz that he might not go in the first round, but he was definitely worthy of a first round selection. I think he's a top notch player. And to add that to an already off, uh, stout offensive line once they get Ronnie Staley back, I think is a huge bonus for them. So I was really impressed with what they were able to pull off, getting the dual first-round picks there. Uh, I know that they did have to flip Hollywood Brown, but I was not necessarily the biggest Hollywood Brown fan. I think that uh, between Devin Duvernay and some of the other like smaller pieces that you have in this offense, you can kind of replicate some of that production. I still think they're searching for that number one high-end guy. But in the meantime, you'll be able to fill that with Mark Andrews and a, a variety of other players. Uh, the The last team that I was really impressed with is going to be another team with uh, multiple picks. And it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Love the McDuffie selection. I know we kind of talked about that as well as already. You're going to kind of replace and replicate some of that Tyron Matthew production. But also when you're looking down the draft here, you also get the Carlaft this pick at a discount. Like, this is a guy that there was some buzz in the top 15. You get him at 30, and you combine that to really add to this defense. And everybody was really concerned about these weapons on offense. Maybe they're looking to try to build up this defense, and maybe they're okay with what they have on offense. Maybe when you're paying a quarterback 40 to $50 million a year, you're expecting him to kind of raise the talent level around him. So why not flip it to the other side of the ball? and see what we can do there to build this team around them. So another huge winner is the Kansas City Chiefs as the rich get richer. Turning our attention to the the other side of things, teams that I wasn't exactly so keen on, teams that I thought that didn't really do well in the first round, uh, we're going to leave that off with the Minnesota Vikings. And the Minnesota Vikings, they, they were originally selecting at number 12, and they end up flipping out number 12 with 32, I believe it's 34, and like 60 in the 60 range there. So basically, you're passing on anybody in the top 15 to move back to the back end of the first, beginning of the second, and another third round pick. And you're giving up the 40th selection to do so. And the number one problem I have with this is... You're kind of in that range where you could get a you, you could have got a really good football player like a Kyle Hamilton to you know help ease the loss of a uh, of a Harrison Smith down the road. You could have got a Jamison Williams to pair with uh, Justin Jefferson on the outside. You could have looked to get you know some depth at a edge rusher somewhere around there with like a Jermaine Johnson. There's a lot of different options and like they kind of just bypassed them all and said you know what we're good with somebody in the mid tier range. So. I don't really know exactly what you're thinking there because I think this team needs more of the top-end talent, some of these more high-end picks uh, when, you, when you capitalize on them because this is a pretty good roster. So if you can add one of these guys to it, maybe you're not picking in this you know 8 to 15 range next year. Maybe you're picking in the back half of the 20s or in the 30s. And I just don't think that that's something that's going to help you right now. So didn't really exactly love what the Minnesota Vikings were able to pull off in this draft. Uh, averting my attention here too, another team that I didn't exactly like what they pulled off was the the Washington Commanders. And they moved from 11 to 16. I know they got some extra capital. But when you take a look at what was available on the clock, they could have got a, a Chris Olave, who 
in my opinion, was the best wide receiver in this draft. They could have got a Kyle Hamilton. They could have got a Jamison Williams. All of these players much better than the one that they got at 16 in Jahan Dotson. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Jahan Dotson. I love Jahan Dotson, though, more at about 25 to 32 than I do at Jahan Dotson at 16. So it's a little bit shocking to me that they moved down, only netting, you know, probably like a third or fourth round pick here to get the the talent difference in those players. So didn't exactly love the moves that Washington made based on who was on the board for them. Moving right along here, a couple of the other moves that I was not necessarily a huge fan of is going to be the Kenny Pickett selection at number 20. Now, I'm not the biggest Kenny Pickett fan. I don't necessarily think he has a huge ceiling as an NFL starter. I think that if you think he's going to be better than Baker Mayfield, well, we're going to have some interesting conversations here in the future because I think Baker Mayfield has a much higher ceiling than Kenny Pickett does. And Kenny Pickett goes in the first round when I thought, and let's just be honest here, Mike Tomlin had us all fooled. We all thought that he was going Malik Willis for months, months and months and months. There's a lot of people that were fooled on this one. And he ends up going Kenny Pickett gets the hometown guy. And I just, I don't, I don't see where you think that he's going to take you further than what you have currently in Mitch Trubisky or anybody along those lines. I think you're, you're getting the same quality of a starter there. So why are we settling for mediocrity? I'm not exactly sure. I think that this, this pick could have been moved, made to select maybe a cornerback, maybe an interior offensive lineman, like a Linderbaum. Maybe somebody else at a, a position of need that maybe we don't quite identify, have identified on the outside here. But either way, I'm not a huge fan of what uh, this team was able to pull off here. So that's going to be the list. Uh, I don't want to go too hard on some of these teams. I, I'm not exactly a fan also of like the Jacksonville Jaguars. But... Actually, you know, you know what? Let, let's go there. Let's go there with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, you get the number one overall selection, Trayvon Walker. I get where you're going with the high ceiling pick. Just please, please don't let the expectations get out of hand. And you know, I hit on, we hit on that earlier in the pod, so I don't want to beat that one to death. But you also get Devin Lloyd, which is a which is a big time discount here. I thought that this guy was like a top fifteen player, top ten player. So I really like that pick, but I just think like what you were able to get for that first overall selection, like that's a that's a can't miss. That's a guy that like is going to be a part of your franchise for ten years, and that's just what you were able to get out of it was was a Trayvon Walker, where if he pans out, like we're going to be talking about this as one of the all time greatest evaluations of all time, and Trent Baalke will be praised for it. But if it if it doesn't pan out. This is going to be one of the all-time biggest whiffs. Like, this is a guy that had almost no production in college, and you were basing it all off of projection. So that's where we'll round it out here. Uh, that's where we're, we'll surmise the, the first round. So let us know your thoughts. Let us uh, weigh in. Weigh in. Let us know what you think about the first round. Who's your favorite picks? Who's your best values? Who had the worst first days? Who were some of the worst picks? Uh, we're we're always interested in hearing, and we'll round out some of the rest of the selections that were made on day two and day three of the draft. 
later in the week here. So we'll see you all as the week moves on.